0: So as Francis said, I've been introduced a couple of times, but anyway, I'm happy to be here, happy to see all of you. It's a joy. Um, I just want to make a side note real quick that um, I don't normally preach with a hat on. Uh, Today I'm wearing a hat because of Father's Day, which, you know, was a while ago, but um, my two boys, I don't know where they went, but they gave me uh, this hat and they're wearing uh, matching shirts that has a little bear on it says Cub, and uh I don't know, if you can't see the hat this says Papa Bear. So <laughs> so I, I can't wear a hat on Sunday, right? So like just wear it tonight. <laughs> so yeah. Um anyway, I like to make that side note. I don't know if this is a hat preaching place or not. So <laughs> um okay, but into um God's word tonight. Um, I wanted to start with just asking you a question um, about anger. So, when was the last time that you experienced anger in your own heart or in your own mind? Um, maybe it was yesterday. Maybe it was this morning. Maybe, maybe even on your way here. Um, maybe you've been angry with your roommates or your parents, or maybe it was you were angry because apparently there's a global shortage of boba in the world. So you might be feeling guilty cuz you went to order that milk tea, that large icy non-dairy milk tea with a splash of brown sugar and you felt guilty cuz you really wanted extra boba, but you saw that sign that says global shortage of boba. And maybe you're angry cuz you don't have one of those drinks right now. I don't know, but really about your anger, though, that maybe you experienced recently. What was it that would characterize your anger? How did you think you responded? Did you have a burst of outrage? Did you give somebody the cold shoulder? Um, or were we just keeping your emotions to yourself and just kind of grumbling inside hour after hour, day after day, maybe even a few weeks uh, towards that person that you were angry with? Or maybe you know, what's more common in our circles perhaps is maybe you were passive aggressive towards that person that you were angry with. Um, So whether you responded in a good way or a bad way when you had that experience of anger, uh, it could have been a destructive way or a constructive way. There's one certainty that happens, that happened that, that time when you were angry. And regardless of whatever action you took and that time, Your anger was stirred up because you cared about something. There was something in there that was really important to you, and you responded with that uh, feeling, we'll call it for now, of anger, and you took some course of action. So think for a moment and consider what that highlights about yourself. What does that instance of anger that you experienced tell you about yourself or reveal about what you care about? What does it tell you that you hold dear in your heart or something that you value? What does that anger reveal about your heart and that thing that you felt was so important? Recently, I was driving down the freeway, uh, I think heading down here, and somebody cut me off or did something like that, and all of a sudden, I started driving very aggressively against this person, Um, you know, speeding up and trying to cut them off back and all this kind of stuff, and then (laughs) my wife Chen Pei looks over to me and she says, what are you doing? <laughs> don't you remember that you have me and the two boys in this car? What are you doing? And so I, I had, she was totally right. I slowed down, you know, took a deep breath and I just apologized and, you know, I was so angry in that moment though, that I, I put my family at risk for some reason that I don't even remember what that person did to me. <laughs> so I responded in that angry way. I cared more about myself and me being offended by what that person did. Instead of thinking about, you know, the care that I need to have towards my, my wife and my kids. I apologized and <clears throat> tried to, you know, drive normally. And out of the back seat, I hear Matthew, who doesn't know how to speak yet, say, Daddy, do it again. <laughs> No, I've never heard a peep from him since, but he said it. Like, no, just kidding. He, he doesn't speak yet. <laughs> um, but a few days later, Chenpei sent me this article, and, and it was about another instance of road rage. This person had, I guess, cut somebody else off. They got into an altercation, and the person in one of the cars pulls out a gun and shot at the other car. Now, what happened, very sadly, was that there was a child in the back seat of the car, The child was actually hit by the bullet and sadly died uh, a short time after that. Um, That's a really tragic incident. Um, Thankfully, it doesn't occur very often. But if you think about it, how many cases of violence, abuse, murder, even psychological abuse in the home occurs because of an outpouring of our anger or someone's anger? So anger is a serious issue. though most of us really, thankfully, don't reach that breaking point, we can see that uh, it can be really devastating in our life, right? It can be devastating to those around us, to ourselves, to our loved ones. And and we need to be aware of this, because this even happens to Christians, right? I know somebody that, in a fit of anger, you know, hit their child, and they ended up in jail for a number of years, and they've caused them to be divorced, and all these things. So uh, you know, it's anger is real. It can really come to us and, and, and really do a number on us if we're not really paying attention and trying to keep our anger in control. So we're going to look at the passage tonight, Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, and I think this is really going to help us to understand anger better, and we're going to see what it looks like when Jesus is angry. So he's going to, we'll see his anger on display, we'll see what he's like when he gets angry, what it is that he gets angry about, what he's focused on, and what action he takes when he gets angry. So the first part that we're going to look at, I'm going to call it the unrighteous anger of the Pharisees. So we'll start with that. But it's in Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. But I'm going to actually begin reading in chapter 2, verses 23. Uh, But our passage is in chapter 3. But we'll start in chapter 2, verse 23. It says... One Sabbath, he, meaning Jesus, was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered into the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any But the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, So as we recall, last week, Mark, or excuse me, uh, Francis was in the book of Mark in chapter one, and and now we're at the beginning of chapter three, and in chapter two, there's all all these things that Jesus is doing. He's ministering in the area of Galilee, and throughout that chapter, you would see he's been casting out demons. He's been healing many who are physically ill with all kinds of diseases. He's going around preaching about the kingdom of God, and Jesus has amazed numerous amounts of people. And one of these groups of people that are amazed at Jesus are the Pharisees. He's been get, garnishing a lot of attention because of all the things that he's been doing. And if you read chapter, through, chapter 2, you would see that he's been interacting with the Pharisees throughout that whole chapter. He's been discussing with them, showing them that he has the authority to forgive sins, that he calls sinners to himself and that they might be healed. He also answers the Pharisees questions about fasting and their understanding of the Sabbath. And so at the end of chapter two, we saw that they were asking why the Pharisees or excuse me, the Jesus's disciples were plucking these things and eating on the Sabbath. And he told them he responded to them with the Old Testament passage about David and explaining to them that, look, the Sabbath was made for man. Man was not made for the Sabbath. But. And that leads us into our passage in Mark three. Uh, so let's look again at Mark three, verses one through two. It says there again, he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a the withered hand and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. So they're in the synagogue. It's the Sabbath. Once again, there is a man with the withered hand and in the parallel passage in Luke chapter 6 it says that this man's hand the one that was withered was actually his right hand and the implication of that would be that it was lifeless his life was or his hand was withered lifeless incapacitated it was useless he couldn't do anything with it and so assuming that most people are right-handed and that at that time the way to make a living would have been physical labor this man would have had a lot of great needs. He would have been devastated because he can't actually do the work in order to make a living and to continue in his life. So in other words, this man has a lot of great needs because of his withered hand. But if you look at the Pharisees, the Pharisees are totally uninterested in that. They actually don't care about this man's needs. Because if you look, as they were watching Jesus to see what he was going to do, They had zero care about the man with the withered hand. They were only watching Jesus in order to see if he would heal him so that they might accuse him. They already knew that Jesus could heal the man. They knew that. They'd seen it with their own eyes in the previous instances and interactions that Jesus had with other people. So they were only watching so that they could accuse Jesus Christ of something. But what is that something? What exactly are they going to accuse Jesus of? is, in the Pharisees' mind, Jesus was actually going to break the Sabbath, in the Pharisees' mind. But what is the Sabbath? What are the Pharisees so worked up about, about Jesus doing this healing on the Sabbath? What's the big deal with this? Well, this points to the larger problem in the Pharisees' heart. They, see, the Pharisees, they had a high regard for the Old Testament law, which in and of itself would have been a good thing. But the problem was, is that they were so wrapped up in trying to keep the Old Testament law that they invented all of these different traditions, all of these different man-made laws in order to try to keep the supposed Old Testament law. So, what happened was they kept adding these different traditions and adding these different laws upon laws upon laws to try to help them keep uh, in their own minds the Old Testament law. And Jesus calls them out on this. In Mark chapter 7, he's interacting with them again, and he says to them, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. So Jesus was calling them out on this all the time. But what are these traditions? What do they look like? What are these laws that the Pharisees are keeping look like in into their own mind? So today we have what's been passed down for a long time from them, and it's called the Mishnah. Today it's written down. You can get a book. It's it's in written form. But back in that day, it was an oral tradition that was passed down from generation to generation. It was all the teaching of the rabbis and the various things that they've tried to accumulate in order so that they could keep the word of God. But it had all these kinds of rules and meticulous little details. So one example of that is, is from the Mishnah is this. that It says it like this. On the day of atonement, whosoever eats the, the food... To, Sorry, whosoever eats food to the size of a large date, the fruit thing, that is the date with the kernel inside of it, or drinks a mouthful is guilty. All kinds of food are reckoned together to the size of the date and all the liquids to the mouthful. But the food and the beverages are not reckoned together. I mean, they're so detailed about what you can and you can't eat and how much you can eat and can't eat and, you know, no boba and whatever, right? I mean, they're so meticulous about trying to do this, keep their own traditions and laws, but if you just barely crossed that tradition, well, then you were guilty. So just you cross that hairline, and then you're guilty. That's the type of mindset that the Pharisees had with regards to the Old Testament law. Okay, great. What about the Sabbath? Well, if you remember in the Old Testament, right, God gave the Ten Commandments, and in those Ten Commandments, he gave the Sabbath. And it was pretty simple, pretty straightforward. Basically, six days out of the week, you work. On the seventh day, you don't work. That's the extent of what it says. But they had come up with all kinds of different rules and regulations. You can't walk beyond your house so far, or then you've broken the law and you've broken the Sabbath and you're guilty. So they had all kinds of these things about how things, the things you could do and shouldn't do on the Sabbath. Otherwise you were super guilty and you know they were ready to stone you basically. <laughs> so they were very, very serious about the Sabbath. And what about healing then? What's this whole deal? Why would they be so upset about Jesus doing a healing on the Sabbath? Well, in the Mishnah, there was another law that said for the Sabbath, if a person has a sore throat, it is permitted to put drugs into his throat on the Sabbath because the disease may endanger his life and whatsoever threatens to endanger life supersedes Sabbath. So, see, you could only do something to help somebody if they were sick, if there was a risk that they were going to die. Otherwise, just wait till the Sabbath's over. Then you can love them. Then you can take care of them and help them out. But only if they're going to die, then you can do something on Sabbath. Otherwise, don't do anything. Leave them alone alone. You don't work because you're not going to break the Sabbath. I and mean, that's the kind of mentality these people had towards sick people, even on the Sabbath. So we see, though, that in Luke chapter six, which is another parallel passage for, for this one, um, that Jesus knows all of this about the Pharisees. It says in, chap- in chapter six, verse eight, that Jesus knew what the Pharisees were thinking. He knew that they were What they were thinking in their hearts, one with respect to the Sabbath, but also according to uh, also the things that were in their heart against him. So he knew that as they were watching him, that he was going that, um, excuse me, that they were really thinking about something that they could find to accuse him. But we obviously we know he goes forward with it anyway and still heals this man with the withered hand. So let's see what else happens here in chapters verses three and four in Mark three. So in Mark three, verses three and four, and he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or kill? But they were silent. So Jesus asked them this question, a really simple question, actually. Is it good to heal this man on the Sabbath? Yes or no? And they, because of their own thinking and mindset, they said they were just silent. But why? Why are they silent? Well, if they answer, yes, it is lawful, well, that would totally undermine all of their thinking with regards to the their traditions and their laws and the Sabbath, right? So they can't say yes, because then they're just saying, we've been wrong this whole time, so they don't want to do that. But they can't say no, because obviously Jesus is trying to do something good for this guy, and if you say, no, 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 you can't do it on the Sabbath, well, everybody's going to look at them like, man, these guys are crazy. Like, why aren't they so unloving, right? So they don't want to say anything because they don't want to look bad and they don't want to undermine their own system. But the answer is really easy, right? I mean, you should know this, right? We should know this in our hearts. Is it lawful, yes or no? Of course it is. And Jesus in the parallel passage says, look, which one of you has a sheep if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is this man here Than a sheep. So, of course, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. So Jesus spells it out for them, right? He makes it abundantly clear, but yet they are still silent. So let's see how this continues to play out. Let's look at verses 5 and 6. Verse 5. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. It says that Jesus was angry. He was angry. And he was grieved because of their hardness in their heart. I want to just stop here for a moment so we can take a look at this, because there's a profound lesson for us here. It's quite notable, for one thing, because this is the only passage that explicitly says that Jesus was angry. We see Jesus being angry in other passages, like when he would cleanse out the temple, right, because there were people that were selling and buying and doing all these things in the temple. So we see him acting out in his anger, but this is the only one that says that Jesus was explicitly angry. But it's important to note, right, that Jesus is not the only one who is angry. It's quite obvious, right, that the Pharisees are also angry. In order to see that a little clearer, I want us to take a look at what does anger look like and what does that really, how do we understand the nature of anger so we can see how it works in Jesus, how it works in the Pharisees, and how it works in ourselves. So what is anger? Earlier this week, I got to sit down and chat with Pastor Kim. He was giving me a little uh, seminar on, you know, how to preach and things like that. Clearly, he knew ahead of time that I need a lot of help, you know. (laughs) So he sat me down in his office and we were talking about the passage. And then he told me, oh, yeah, 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 anger. That's good. I like that. This is easy. This is clear. Watch. Anger is our response when idols are threatened. Anger is our response when idols are threatened. I thought, you know, that's really good. That's really helpful because that's super clear. That's super concise, easy to remember. Um, Anger is our response when idols are threatened. So I really like that definition that Pastor Kim gave me. Uh, But there was another book that I was reading through called Good and Angry by David Powlison. Powlison. I can't say his name. Powlison. Whatever. Pow, pow, whatever. (laughs) Pow, pow. Yeah, there we go. and he said that anger is an active stance you take to oppose something that you assess is both important and wrong. So anger, I think you have it on the back of your little sheets there, so you don't need to worry about uh, writing it down. But look, it's, this is a good definition, too, because it highlights that we choose to take a stance. So we decide to do something. We decide to take action, whether it's good or bad. It also highlights that we take this stance because we oppose something. We oppose something because we think it's both important and that we think it's wrong. Now, while this definition might sound simple, um, it really is very valuable. And the reason is because it provides great insight into our own hearts, right? It shows us the relationship that exists between anger and what we really care about, what we really value. It shows us that our anger reveals that. It reveals what we care about. It reveals the things that we hold dear and important in our own hearts. So think about it. When was the last time that you were angry? It was because you were angry at that time because you thought that whatever was going on was important and it was wrong. Now, it could have been something as simple as, as your roommate not washing the dishes, right? I mean, who's who's gotten angry over something like that, I mean, I Certainly have, and I'm sure plenty of people have been angry with me about that. <laughs> um, it could have been though one of your professors in this last semester or quarter saying another snarky comment against the Bible or against Jesus or against Christians. It could have been something like that. And it could have been that your dog, your neighbor's dog is not potty trained. And you know, I mean, stuff happens and you know, I, I'm sure I'd be angry about that. <laughs> um, or maybe, you know, on a more serious note, maybe there was some crisis going on in your life. And your anger really turned to be anger aimed at God or towards God because you're in this circumstance in your life. And, and it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. And, and it's something that's near and dear to your heart. And it's all messed up, and so you're angry about it, but you steer it towards God. And there's any number of reasons why we could be angry, right? But the key is that it's revealing that what's important to you in your own heart, what you hold near and dear in your own mind. So what about righteous anger? What about righteous anger? I mean, what is this deal with righteous anger? I mean, we hear it, sometimes people use it to say, no, 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 my anger is righteous because, you know, it's related to some godly thing. But, you know, they're still yelling at people and doing all kinds of nasty stuff. So, does that count? Does that, is that righteous anger? Well, we've seen many passages in the scriptures that refer to God being angry, right? Sometimes God is revealed to be angry. And sometimes... Well, uh, in this case, right, we see that Jesus is angry. So how do we know when anger is righteous or not? So here's some, some tips, and I, I think they're on the back of your handout as well. So, again, you don't need to worry about writing them down. But righteous anger reacts against actual sin, okay? That's really important. Righteous anger reacts against actual sin. And number two, Righteous anger focuses on God and his kingdom, God's rights and concerns, not on me, not on my own kingdom, not on my rights or my concerns. Okay, that's also super key to really be able to understand whether or not your anger is righteous. Thirdly, righteous anger is accompanied by other godly qualities and it expresses itself in godly ways. So let's take a minute and let's take a look at these Pharisees. And let's look at these Pharisees with respect to these uh, criteria and determine whether or not their anger is really righteous or not. Because I'm sure to them, they probably think that their anger is righteous, right? So first, we can see that they're reacting against what? A perceived sin, right? There's no actual sin here. Jesus is not breaking the Sabbath. Jesus is going to heal somebody. But that doesn't violate Old Testament law. That only violates something in the Pharisees' mind that they perceive as something wrong. But it's not wrong. So it's not against actual sin that they're being angry. Second, they're focused on themselves. They're focused on their own little kingdom, their traditions, their laws, things that they've made up. They're not focused on God and his kingdom. They're not focused on the healing of this man. Because if you remember... In the Old Testament, there's uh, prophecies and things like that, that the, old, that the Messiah, when he comes, is going to be healing people. He's going to be doing miracles. So they're not aware of that. They're not thinking about that. They're only thinking about their own kingdom. And thirdly, we can see that their anger is not accompanied with other godly qualities, right? They can't even say and agree that, yes, it is a good thing to heal this man on the Sabbath. They can't even bring themselves to say that. And what we saw very briefly there in verse 6 is that their anger is not expressed in the godly way. They start to scheme and consult with the Herodians, who might have been their very enemies, to try to destroy Jesus. So clearly their anger is way out in left field, not righteous at all. But this is helpful, right? We're looking at it with the Pharisees, and that's, that might be easy, right? Because we can look at them and say, oh, yeah, yeah, they're all messed up. Totally not righteous anger. But what I, what I want you to remember with this, and this is why we put it in the handout, is that you can use these three questions for yourself. When you get heated up in that moment, you feel that temperature start boiling inside your heart. You need to take a step back, and you can ask yourself those three questions. Am I reacting against an actual sin here? Is that what's going on in this situation? Am I focused on God and his kingdom and his concerns? Or am I focused on my own? Is my anger accompanied with other godly qualities and being expressed in a godly way, right? I mean, I'd venture to guess that most of the time the answer to those is no, for all of us, right? And I mean, so that's why I really like those questions because, I mean, they're so helpful. In that heat of the moment, you can stop, take a deep breath, you know, we're not advocating behavioral change and all that. We we want hard change. That's what we want, right? Um, (laughs) But you can ask yourself those questions. Now, we've seen also, too, that some of those examples I mentioned earlier, what happens when we don't control this anger? It's an unrighteous anger. We know that it can escalate into something that can be very devastating for our lives, right? We know plenty of marriages, sadly, that have fallen apart. We've heard of many... um, Uh, What do you call those um, when they walk in and shoot everybody in the building? Right. I mean, anger is behind all of that with these people. So if you're anything like me, you probably need to take a step back over the next few days and really think about your heart. Really think about those episodes of anger that you've had in your own life. And, And you know, maybe this really isn't a big deal for you. You're good. You're chill. But maybe it's a real problem and, and you just don't know it yet. I mean honestly I'll share some more later but you know I, I've had some real good uh, learnings and discoveries about myself uh, in the last couple of weeks. But now I want us to turn turn our focus a little bit. I want to turn and focus on Jesus. How was Jesus's anger going on in this passage? What was he doing? What, what did it look like? It's so amazing because We know that Jesus is God, right? He's the God-man. We know that he has never sinned. But at the same time, we see that he was angry with these Pharisees. So how does that work? How is it that Jesus could be angry but not sin? So let's refresh our minds here, all right? Verses 4 and 5. Look there again. Verses 4 and verse 5. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do, do harm or to save life or kill? But they were silent. And he looked at them, sorry, he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and it was restored. So again, remember, Jesus knows the Pharisee's heart. He knows what's going on. He pointedly asked this question in verse 4, right? And they don't even respond. And because of all of that combined together, right, Jesus is angry. But I love this. I love this. He's grieved at their heart. He's grieved over them. And this is so amazing. The Pharisees have this lack of love towards this man in need whose life has been devastated because of this withered hand. And Jesus gets angry at their lack of love for him. But at the same time, he's grieved because of their sin. I mean, this is amazing. This is incredible. And Jesus knows everything in their heart. They're, they have no love for this man. They're scheming in their hearts to try to find a way to accuse him so that they can destroy him. But at the same time, I mean, Jesus is grieving in his heart over their sin. I and mean, this is the kind of Savior that you and I need. We need this kind of compassionate and loving, patient Savior who, who grieves over our sins too. This is so amazing to have a God like this who loves and who's patient and who's kind. It's astounding the love of Jesus that he has for people who are lost. They're so lost and they're so blind with their overwhelming self-righteous pride. But he grieves for them. He grieves for them when they can't even see their own sin, when it's staring them in the face. And Jesus lovingly points it out to them. He's showing them, look, it is lawful to heal this man. It is good to heal this man, to help him. But they don't see that. They're still so blind. They're still so stuck in their sins. But again, Jesus is grieving for them. Now, Jesus's anger here, it's it's... It's so amazing how it's manifested. It, it has this character of patience. Right? He doesn't just come out and destroy the Pharisees right away. right? He's patient with them. And righteous anger is characterized as well with forgiveness, although that doesn't necessarily play out in this passage. But forgiveness is, should be there too. But we also see the love that he has for them, right, as he's grieving over their sins with them for them, I should say. And at the same time, we see that he has this constructive action, right? The examples I gave before for unrighteous anger were destructive in nature, right? The Pharisees want to go and they want to destroy Jesus. The real life examples we hear on the news every day are destructive in nature with their anger. But, But Jesus has this constructive action that he does in working out his anger. So again, if you look at the If you look at those diagnostic questions with respect to Jesus, right? Is he angry against actual sin? Yes, because those people did not love their neighbor as themselves, right? I mean, that's the second greatest commandment that Jesus gave to us, right? You need to love your neighbor as yourself. He's angry against an actual sin that the Pharisees are doing. Number two, he's focused on the kingdom of God. Absolutely, right? Because he's doing those miracles, fulfilling the prophecies of the Old Testament, saying that the Messiah would do that. And he's, he's focused on that. So he's definitely not, in our sense, focused on ourselves, right? He's focused on the kingdom of God and all of that 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 entails. And lastly, we see, yes, it's accompanied by good godly qualities, Right, It expresses itself in a godly way. How? What did he do? Well, he he healed this man. He healed this this man's hand, right? And again, like we've been pointing out, he's grieving over the sins and the hardness of heart of the Pharisees. So, yes, there's patience, there's love, and there's this constructive action. And this is so helpful. It's so encouraging just to see Jesus even living out the character of God. I mean, we know he is God, but just to see it is so helpful. It says in Psalm 145, verses eight and nine, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. Now this, of course, applies to Jesus, right? He's merciful both to the man with the withered hand and towards the Pharisees. Jesus is slow to anger. As we said in the beginning, right? There's He's been interacting with the Pharisees before, all of chapter 2. He has all these interactions with them, but he's slow to get to this point of being angry with them. He's slow to be angry against them. He's merciful. He's loving. He points out their wrong thinking and tries to show them the correct way how to think about this situation. So all of these characteristics of God, slow to anger, right? Steadfast love, all of those things. Jesus is really showing that, embodying that, manifesting that. And it's so helpful, just so encouraging to the heart to really see him living that out. We see in Luke chapter 6, verse 35 and 36, Jesus, Jesus said to the people there, But love your enemies, love your enemies and do good. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. And just just think how Jesus puts all of these qualities on display as the perfect Son of God. Think about how the Word of God and the Holy Spirit work to transform us into the image of Christ. Will you be angry and patient and forgive and be constructive just how Jesus is? For those of you who struggle with anger and you know you have an anger problem, brother, sister, friend, there is hope. I want you to remember this passage of Mark 3, verses 1 through 6. Remember Jesus' anger and how he put his righteous anger on display. Because that's what we need to follow. That's what we need to keep our mind on. I want you to remember that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. I want you to remember To keep your eyes upon Jesus Christ. Right? As we behold his glory, we will be transformed into his image from one glory to the next glory. Right? 2 Corinthians 3.16 Keep your eyes on Christ. That is the way that we'll be transformed into his image. The perfect image of God. Now, I just want to close with this small testimony about God's goodness, okay? This past week, as I've been preparing for this message, the Lord began to show to me and to reveal to me that I have an anger problem. I didn't know this. I mean, you know, sure, maybe I was, oh, yeah, brush it off. Like anger, sure, whatever. But no, that's not right. God was helping me to understand that I have an anger problem that I'm judgmental towards others, that I become angry much faster than I realize, that I would generally give the cold shoulder to my wife or I would lose my temper very quickly with my voice. But just a few days ago, I could sense myself getting angry with Chen Pei. And I felt that anger slowly just bubbling up in my heart. Thankfully, though, I stopped and I took a deep breath, not in the weird psychological sense, but I paused. Let's just say it like that. And I asked myself those three diagnostic questions. Am I am I getting angry at an actual sin? No, no. Chenpei wasn't doing anything like that, that I should have gotten angry for a sin or something like that. Was I focused on the kingdom of God and, and God's concerns? No, not at all. I was so focused on myself and just wanting to, to, to have it the way I had imagined the day was going to play out and how I was going to be helping and doing all these things. But, you know, Chenpei had a different plan and I was getting angry over that. And did it manifest itself in a godly way? Well, it was it was on the way. It was on the way to not manifest itself in a godly way. <laughs> I could feel it bubbling up, right? And I was trying to, to ask myself these questions. And I just took a moment and I prayed. She doesn't know this, I mean, that I was, all this was going on in my heart, right? I just, we're all in the kitchen there. And, and I just took a moment and prayed and I said, Lord, help me. Because I sense this anger coming up. I need to, to, to stop and take a moment and figure out what's going on here. And I need to respond in a, in a righteous way, not in an ungodly way. So, I took the boys, we went downstairs, we played together, we had a great time, we watched some videos and Ranger Joe and all that, if you know what that is. If not, don't worry about it. And then we went and we, we made this little card for Chen Pei. And, and the boys just did their scribbling like this all over. <laughs> and then I wrote on the front of the card and I, we just put, you know, you're the best mama in the whole world. And we love you very much and we appreciate you. And we gave her that card and and honestly i told her this story on the way down here she had no idea all this was going on in my heart that day but i praise god and i really give thanks to god for helping me in that moment to to use the study that i was preparing to work in my own heart and help me to recognize my anger issues and to try to really really change my heart in the strength of his word the strength of his spirit to really manifest Christ in our home. So that's why, you know, if you're here tonight and you think that you might have an anger problem, that I want you to just be encouraged. I want you to pray about it. I want you to think about it. I want you to bring it to God and ask God for forgiveness. Ask that other person that you might be angry with for forgiveness. Okay, we need to repent. I'm saying we, all right? Because we need to repent for any unrighteous anger that we might have. We need to live according to the righteous anger that God has. So just, I encourage you, take some time tonight, take some time tomorrow morning, you know, think about these questions, these diagnostic questions, and, and what is it in your heart that, that you know, you really need to, to think and pray about to live this righteous anger that Christ so magnificently puts on display for us. So brothers and sisters, friends, I want you to know God is good. Well, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time and your word and just your loving kindness, your steadfast love, your slowness to anger, your mercy that works in our lives. Father, you are just an unimaginably good towards us. Father, we know we don't deserve it. We know that we do so many things, Lord, and we don't even know really how evil and sinful we can really be against you and against others but we thank you for your son the lord jesus christ who died on the cross in our place and that anyone who would believe in him and repent from their sins and put their faith in christ can be forgiven can have eternal life in him lord we're so thankful that you don't leave us in our sin that you give us your holy spirit you've given us your holy word And that you work in us to transform us into the image of Christ. Lord, we pray that you use our lives to manifest Christ, to preach Christ with our lives, with our words, and that we might give you all the glory. Lord, thank you for your loving kindness. Bless all of us tonight in our small groups and even as we depart. And really, Lord, help us to to be honest with you about our hearts and about our sin and to just thank you too for the work that you've done in us so far lord we love you we praise you ask you to bless us tonight and, and all their families as well we ask this humbly in jesus christ's name amen